Hello, everybody. It's time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. And I'm the host of the podcast, Mitch Michaels. Today's episode is going to be a special one. Brandon Marcus joins me first in the studio, in my apartment, but it's the studio, you know. We're going to talk hoops action. Brandon hosts Mostly Banner, a podcast that's doing big things. We're going to talk about the Charles Oakley incident at Madison Square Garden, how much of a mess the Knicks are and who's to blame there, the Raptors trading for Serge Ibaka, Kevin Love's injury and what that means for Cleveland, as well as look at NBA All-Star Saturday, Sunday, and you know, the rookie game on Friday, as well as make our MVP choices for the first half of the season. And then we're going to talk to Eric Roberts about some NHL action. Eric Roberts, a hockey writer's contributor. We're going to talk about some looming suspensions that are going to be taking place after some incidents, as well as what the playoff picture looks. Love talking hockey with Eric. That's on deck. First up, Brandon Marcus, Money Mitch Effect. You know what it is. Let's do it. All right, Money Mitch Effect back again another week more sports to cover brandon markets welcome back to the show yeah what is this my third time or my fourth i think it's your fourth is it it's your fourth yeah yeah we'll make this one count i know you're in the podcast game now mostly banner doing big things yeah yeah it's fun it's uh it was a little stressful at first trying to actually get it all set up and i mean you know obviously the mixing board and getting your actual place to host it and then getting it to actually work the first time you do it and get it all set up, but we're going, we're going, we're enjoying it. And you know, it's all about like when it, there's all those issues, but when you just get to your point where you're just like, just, I'm just going to do it, we'll, we'll iron it out. And then you get through those initial stages. I mean, I've listened to a few of those episodes. It's good. And you guys are booking some big name guests. Too, I so. appreciate it. Yeah, it's fun. We're hoping, hoping to have Jason Grilly on this week. Ooh, uh, ooh. Blue Jay setup man slash yeah. former closer for the Pirates. So we're hoping we'll see if we can actually land that one. Okay, all right. That's yeah. got some big things there. Try, man. You, try could ask, you could ask him about the ALCS if you want uh, from last year. It's okay. I'll give you permission to. Now, I'll, I'll see. I'll see what he says. <laughs> if he's okay with it. All right. So we're gonna talk hoops today. Football season's over. It was a great one, and this is the point of the year. I know we're both NBA fans, but this is the point of the year when you really feel like the season begins because football's done. There's a couple more months now until we get to the playoffs. It's an 82-game season, Brandon. You know how long that is, and I don't want to say those early games are meaningless, but we're finally getting to the point where things are starting to shake out, and the games start to matter a little bit more. Yes and no. I mean, it, everyone knows it's going to be the Warriors, <laughs> most likely in the West. It's going to most likely be the Cavs in the East. I tried to sell it. I did. <laughs> uh, I really want to. And listen, even as a guy who's a Clippers fan and myself, it's you have hope that the playoffs, anything can happen. And we even saw it today. Kevin Love out for six weeks, so who knows if he'll be healthy come playoff time and what the Cavs will look like. And listen, I mean, you could see Durant or Curry get hurt and what will happen to the Warriors. You never know. So it's, it's, it's open in the fact that there's still time until the playoffs start. Right. And, you know, I, I do think it's a little different. I mean, this usually is the time when we're starting to see it, but the way the power structure has gone with how tightly consolidated things are at the top... We may already know. I mean, it seems like we already know what at least the conference finals, you know, maybe the finals look like, but there's still some basketball left. We'll see if anything shakes it out. I do want to talk about one thing first, away from the standings, away from the power structure in the NBA. Have you been following what's going on with the Knicks? I mean, this is just a disaster. They reach new lows every week. It's actually kind of impressive on that front. 
but I know you were watching this game because it was against the Clippers when the Knicks and Clippers got were going at it in the at the Garden. Porzingis was shooting free throws, and the next thing you know, Charles Oakley is being escorted out of the arena. Now, Adam Silver has already gotten in the middle of it. The NBA commissioner they've lifted the ban that was temporarily implemented on Charles Oakley from ever entering MSG. But just looking at it from the outside. How do we get to this point with the Knicks team where Charles Oakley, a former player, a former, I would say, legend in the New York Knicks fan base community, is being basically ostracized, basically told to stay away from the franchise that, through thick and thin, he supported? James Dolan. <laughs> That's how you got there. I mean, it's, it's crazy because as a Clippers fan, I obviously know what it's like to have a bad owner. And Dolan Sterling, if it wasn't for TMZ might still be owner of the Clippers, and you have no idea what that team would look like. And I have so many friends that are from New York that cannot be Knicks fans because of Dolan. And you feel for them because you can't control what the owner does, and you can't fire the owner. You can fire the GM, you can get rid of players, but the owner's there. And as long as the owner is there and has that toxicity in the franchise... You're going to have issues. And I was watching that game, and I felt really bad for Mike Breen. Because Mike Breen's a guy who's from New York, has been doing Knicks games, and didn't quite know how to cover them. Right, and it was a national game. I mean, he does Knicks games, but he was on a national He was on ESPN doing it for the Knicks Clippers game. And you just felt bad for him. It's such a cluster, because you knew that that lifetime lifetime ban was not actually going to stick. Right, and I just, I just want to say one thing. I don't think Oakley was 100% not at fault. Oh, he absolutely was at fault. We <laughs> yeah. don't know what actually happened, yeah. but, but we, the fact that he was going basically face-to-face with these guys and who, started shoving someone that was very much right. smaller than The him. security guard, the head of security lost his job. Now we'll see if that... But why? But yeah, so I don't understand. So there was total, there was a total overreaction. It would seem on the Knicks management part to implement the security measures that they did. Mm -hmm. But we don't know what Oakley said, and we certainly don't condone putting your hands on a security guard. If any one of us does it, we're not. We're getting worse, probably. We're actually getting banned, (laughs) and they're not lifting that. Yeah, I don't think Commissioner Silver, Michael Jordan's phoning in to talk to us. But this just speaks to Dolan just. Sweeping it under the rug. I really think that the, he needs help. It was the pettiest of PR statements I'd read. And it just kind of shows you that when we're talking about this, we're not talking about the action on the court. We're not talking about anything positive out of the actual product. When this is the headline story, I, I think it just, it's sad. Because I do think that, and I'm not a Knicks fan, but the game's better when the Mecca of basketball at the Garden has a team that's at least competitive. Absolutely. It's the same for the Lakers here in L.A. And with, the, with those two teams... Being relevant, it helps the game of basketball. Now, let's not put all the blame on Dolan, because there's one figure here that (laughs) isn't getting talked about very much, but very much could be at fault for what's been going on the last several weeks. And that's Phil Jackson. Well, and I think, too, Phil's lucky that his owner is James Dolan. I mean, think of any other situation outside of maybe when Sterling was the Clippers owner. I mean, Jackson can pretty much do whatever he wants. Dolan is pretty much display that he's not going to reprimand him, he's not going to fire him. I think, too, I mean, the way he's handled the Carmelo thing has been a disaster. He might go down as the greatest coach and worst executive ever. I mean, that I can't think of any other figure in sports that could have two different titles like that. If not, it's going to be pretty close in both regards. I think you're right. <laughs> right? I'm just trying to think immediately of 
former <laughs> players who are now in front offices. You think of guys like Danny Ainge, Larry Bird, and, and I think you're right. Mikhail had a rough run at the Timberwolves in the front office, and he was actually a pretty good coach. Jackson's much more extreme. Right. That's but Mikhail wasn't trying to undermine his no, players. No, Jackson and Jackson's <laughs> been terrible. I mean, he's he's lucky that Porzingis fell into his lap and that the Lakers didn't get him. Or, or, or the some, Sixers. Yeah, you never know what could have happened if he ended up taking somebody else that was further down in that draft. Now here's the one thing I'll say, just to kind of remain positive with the Knicks. I don't think Hornacek's a bad coach. No, he's a good coach. I think he did well in Phoenix, and they kind of threw him under the bus mm-hmm. there. I think it's hard to have success. He's, he's been pretty open about the fact that you know there's a lot of challenges to this job. I don't think, and maybe I'm being naive here, but I don't think anything Phil Jackson does necessarily is going to be like a death sentence for free agents coming there because if they have money they're willing to offer them, it might not be an ideal situation, but I do think that the money talks. You're going to follow the money. And if they're, if they're smart about who they offer in the future, if they get some help for Phil Jackson and Dolan, I don't think it's the end-all be-all that people just won't come there. Well, that's the question is, are they going to have enough money? And are they going to have a team on the court that can actually win games? Because remember, the salary cap is going to go up again. And so more funny money is going to be thrown out during free agency. And, and, I, and I do... You know, I'm not sure how much it's going to go up. I've been reading conflicting reports on that, where some teams who offer these ridiculous contracts, like Timothy Mozgov comes to mind, might be regretting that in the near future. Right. We'll have to see. I do think it's an interesting situation. And, uh, you know, we'll, I, I don't mind Jackson maybe having regrets about signing Carmelo Anthony to the contract and maybe trying to get him off the books, but you don't go about it the way he's doing it. That, no. That's the worst part of all this. Uh, yeah, 100%. And the issue is that now he might keep Mello just to try and look like the bigger man because he went out in the media and he saw how Mello reacted, and now he's thinking, oh, maybe we'll just keep Mello. It, it's stupid. Blow it all up. At Blow it point, all up. Porzingis needs, needs to be the guy, and I don't know how any young player can thrive with what's going on right now. No, and Derrick Rose has actually been pretty good for them. I know. Which is surprising. <laughs> I mean, Rose has been good. Courtney Lee's been decent. And uh, Mello is Mello. Porzingis is good. This kid Hernan Gomez has been good at center. O'Quinn yeah. doesn't suck. Um, the point guard I'm drawing a blank. That they Brandon Jackson. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's been decent too. Ball. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. But Knicks, what a mess. I do want to switch now to the big trade news uh, that took place today. Brandon, that's the Toronto Raptors acquiring Serge Ibaka from the Magic. Interesting move. Where again, Orlando? <laughs> they end up taking Victor Oladipo becomes basically a late round first pick for what was traded. Uh, They're in rebuild again. I want to mainly focus on the Toronto side of things here. Given the fact that Cleveland has not looked, not necessarily looked like the defending champs of the regular season, and there's time to straighten that out. There's injury questions. There's mileage questions. I actually applaud the Raptors for, at the very least here, kind of going for it here. That's the vibe I'm getting, is that they think they can make a run at the Eastern Conference Championship. So they're going to be aggressive. I know it's a risky move, but I can't really hate on them for it. It's a brilliant move. And give them all the credit in the world because you have Lowry, you have DeRozan, and now you have Ibaka. You have three guys that are a nice little threesome there, and you don't know what Kevin Love's health is going to be. You obviously have Kyrie and you have LeBron. As long as those two guys are on the court at the same time, whether you have Love or you don't have Love, it really doesn't matter because you have LeBron, you have Kyrie. You saw what they did against Golden State. 
Channing Fry's actually been pretty good today. He's got 21 points mm-hmm. and 10 rebounds. It's in the fourth quarter right now as we tape this. So he's been great filling in for Kevin Love. But if you're Toronto, it's a move you have to make. Well, and I do think, <laughs> not to undermine that side of it, but with the NBA now, I mean, they're playing the Timberwolves tonight. Yeah. i, I got to see the, the sample size against some good teams. Oh, absolutely, before, absolutely. Right? You know, we say if they fill in. But still a must. It's right. a move they had to make because you're not going to wait around. You see the level that DeRozan's playing at this year. Unreal. Same for Kyle Lowry. You might as well go for it. How about the fact that there weren't really many teams that could acquire Ibaka mm-hmm. that had the, the cap space, some of the assets? They waited it out. That was brilliant. They did not rush this early. They didn't give up that much. What, Patterson and, or Ross in a late-round first? It's nothing. And that late-round first is, is going to end up being, I think, the Clippers. Whoever sure yeah. pick. Well, yeah. No, and here's the other thing. Ibaka, the, the narrative is Orlando's struggling. He's not having the best year. He's averaging 15 points a game, which is, I think, tied for his best in the last couple of years. It's a Raptors team that's fifth in scoring in the league. They struggle on the glass. I think Ibaka can help him there. I think he can be a defensive force. If you're going to beat Cleveland, because this is what you do now in the NBA, mm-hmm. you judge yourself on the either Golden State in the West or Cleveland in the East. If you're going to beat or compete with Cleveland, where are they vulnerable? Inside. Where have they struggled? Defensively, on the glass especially. A lot of second chance points. I really like this Ibaka, this Ibaka trade. And I'm not ready just yet, also given how well Boston's played. Hand Cleveland the keys to another finals. I know they're the presumptive favorites, but I think it could be competitive this playoffs. Way more so than the last couple. Yeah, I think the Eastern Conference has a chance to really be competitive. The Western Conference, not so much, probably with the Warriors, but I think you're right. Because Boston, you got to remember, has all these different assets and draft picks. And the best fourth quarter scorer in the game. Right. <laughs> and they can end up trading, who knows, for a guy like Blake Griffin at the deadline. It's not going to happen, most likely, but they've got the assets to acquire whoever they want. And it'll be interesting to see what they do now to counter. Because don't forget with Toronto, they also have this Jonas Valanciunas guy in the middle. He's more of a scorer, not a defender. So you put a Baca next to him. You have Lowry and DeRozan as your guards. It's a team that's going to be tough to stop on both ends now. Right, and you're making Love or Fry, whoever that is for Cleveland, defend. Whether if it's Boston, you're bringing Al Horford out a little bit. It could be pretty scary. I think, too, and then you got Patterson, who's perfect in that off-the-bench role. Yeah, Toronto, Toronto made this move work pretty well. And Boston has room, as you said, to maybe make a move as well. I think it could be interesting as I continue to chat with Brandon Marcus on the Money Mitch effect. The other side of this, why I think the East is opening up. We saw the other domino that dropped today. Kevin Love hurt his knee, got it scoped. I mean, he was having some discomfort, tried to play through it. Decided, you know, it's a smart move to get it taken care of now. He'll be out six weeks, missing the All-Star game, obviously, and into probably the month of April, Brandon, we look at Love's injury, we look at where the Cavs are, I would think it's a no-brainer that they're just going to not chase that top seed anymore. I mean, you'd have to, with LeBron playing the most minutes in the NBA, for them to get the top seed, they'd have to pretty much burn him and Kyrie down the stretch. And I know I wouldn't do it. No, it doesn't make any, I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all to do that. And it doesn't matter where they end up. If LeBron's a four seed, I feel terrible if whoever the one seed is because right. whoever they blow by in the, with the 5-4 matchup and then they play the one seed, I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It, that's the funny thing about the NBA is that seeding doesn't matter that much. Home court's probably large mm-hmm. in the second or third round. Not as much, I would say, in the first. But if you can just get that one, two, three, or four seed, it doesn't matter. 
Right. If you look at it from the basketball side of things, it's not the first injury. I mean, J.R. Smith's injury was huge as well. I We've addressed on this show why I don't think calling out into the media that you need a playmaker is the best move for LeBron and, and, and the Cavs. But there's a deadline. They have a roster spot. They have an exception. They have an owner that's willing to go well deep into the luxury tax. They could be making moves as well. LeBron's 32 years old. He's a specimen we've never we've never seen before. But Kobe Bryant was playing at a blistering clip, playing a lot of minutes, and then he hurt his and then he hurt his knee. One injury. That's all it takes, and the Cavs championship window shuts. So I'd be very careful of playing LeBron all these minutes. I know we haven't seen the injury, but there's a there's a strong history, strong track record of players getting hurt trying to play too many minutes. One thing to consider. I don't know if you're able to catch it, but Bill Simmons had a great discussion with Kevin Durant. And, yeah, I did. That was very good. And Durant was talking about LeBron. He was talking about the way he takes care of himself. And KD was saying how he's never seen someone that takes as good of care of himself as LeBron. And the way he trains and just is in such amazing shape. So obviously, let's hope he avoids that injury. And if he continues to stay healthy, it's a guy that can play at a pretty high level for at least another five or six years. Yeah, you definitely think that. I, I just... I'm optimistic as you are, but again, it's sports. We know that one injury in the guy in his 30s, and right. it could all change. There's a couple other injury news. I mean, one in particular, Jabari Parker. That just that just hurt. It man. sucks. I just no one wants to see that. And the Bucks were. I don't know if they still are, but we had that discussion about who's most likely to make the finals out of the East once the LeBron championship window closes. It might be or might have been that Bucks team. Second ACL injury, I'm a big fan of what he can do, but this is twice now, and the kid's not even, what, 24, 25 yet? Yeah, it's not good when you have two injuries this early on in your career, and it's a really young team. I mean, you obviously you have Giannis, you have Brogdon, who's been sensational. And I like Thon Maker, too. Yeah, Thon Maker's a guy that's really, really raw, and someone that Jason Kidd's going to have to work with. But you have some playmakers around Giannis that can help out. Monroe's been really good. Henson's a guy that could be decent off the bench. I like this team a lot, but I just don't know what they are without Parker. Right, you mentioned those players. A lot of size, a lot of big bodies. Oh, yeah. I mean, Giannis is the biggest freak probably in the NBA. But, yeah, without their playmaker, without somebody that can handle the rock and create their own shots, yeah, I don't know what they are either. I'm interested to see where this team goes because they're, they're the fun-loving, hype, you know, I mean, deservedly so with all the athleticism. And in any given night, they can beat anyone when Giannis goes crazy. You wonder, though, what's next? What do they do now? How do they lock up their assets going forward? Something to see. I mean, Parker might not be back until a year from now. This could be a very, very serious injury. That's the issue is now what do you do? Because we saw in the first couple games without Parker, they're going really heavy with Giannis. I mean, he, I don't think he had a triple-double in one game. It's just, yeah. He hit had over, nice 40, luxury to over have. <laughs> 40 points in another. So he's been amazing. But did you see who stepped up in their last game? Michael Beasley. Welcome back. Yeah. yeah. Got, he's got nine likes. like a cat out there. The dude goes from team to team and has like one or two really good games and somehow stays in the NBA. Well, that was the other thing about the Simmons podcast with Duran. I remember is he said Giannis was just watching him work out after a game, just staring him down. I, I thought that was great. And I think Giannis has... All the potential to be the best player in the league in a couple years. Oh, I agree. I really do. Another thing, though, if they miss the playoffs this year, it's a loaded lottery class, and they get some help. That, I don't know if they're going to miss, because the East, the bottom half of the East is so bad. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. 
we'll have to, you know, you got to keep your eye on it because you don't know. We mentioned the top three teams, four to six. There's some competitiveness there, and then it just falls off a cliff. Yeah, you really don't know. I mean, even a team like the Knicks, you, you never know <laughs> what they're going to do. I mean, they can make one big trade. We saw that when Denver got rid of Carmelo, they actually became better initially. Oh, yeah. Believe. So that was trading down. They got like half the Knicks roster of role right, players. And they and, became better. So you yeah. never know if somehow the Clippers maybe acquire Carmelo Anthony and give up Austin Rivers, J.J. Redick. What do the Knicks become? Who knows? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't want to play the Knicks if I was any of those Eastern Conference. It's just like a stench you don't want on your team. Like yeah. something crazy might happen. You just want to avoid that. All right. Still chatting with Brandon Marcus on the Money Mitch effect. I do want to talk about the Golden State-Oklahoma City game, Kevin Durant's return to OKC. And I think it went pretty much according to script. I, I was looking at it like, booze early from OKC, deservedly so. Not the most hostile crowd, but still letting it known that you know, they don't like him. And then Golden State eventually taking over. Oklahoma City was in it early, was playing a good first. But when that switch flips with that, Oklahoma, with that Golden State team, especially Durant, you gotta just stand back. I know a lot of us don't root for them, but you gotta just stand back in appreciation because they're getting it quicker than any super team ever has. The whole cupcake thing was really funny as well. How the, all the Warriors players they embraced were, it. Yeah, they were wearing the cupcake shirts after the game. And with OKC, if you're watching the playoffs, that fan base is really passionate, and they fill up that place. They're loud as can be. So obviously, the boos were expected. I'm not quite sure how deserved they were. Because a lot of people look at it as, hey, KD left OKC. He just left him high and dry. But at the same time, he's been there for nine years. This is his first time where he's actually had a chance to go to another team. Mm-hmm. And he chose Golden State. Do you think the, the environment is lessening their stance on these super teams? I remember that first reaction when LeBron went back to Cleveland. Some of the other you know, return, homecomings have been pretty brutal. I, feel, I don't know, I feel like it might be not warming up, that's a, that's a reach, but I don't think it's as harsh on, oh, you went to another team. So I, I don't know, I mean, I, I thought it would be worse, actually. It wasn't as vicious as I thought it might be. I, I don't know, I mean, I'm at a point now where I feel like anything, this is just kind of expected, that players, any player now, is fair game to go anywhere. Oh, no doubt. And KD obviously thought it was going to be crazy because he hired three times the security around him for that game. But I think you're right. It's interesting because there are only so many superstars in the NBA. I mean, you look at probably five to ten guys yeah. that you can look at and say, those are franchise guys, and if they leave the team, then the, uh, that team will sink. And Westbrook is now one of those guys. Yeah. James Harden's one of those guys. Yeah. Obviously, KD and Steph. There's LeBron, LeBron, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, you can say now in Milwaukee. Yeah. There are these guys that are the foundation of the team. And so if they were to pick up and leave, then that team would obviously suffer. And the fan base, depending on how connected to that player, would be up in arms. But like you said, we're so used to this whole teaming up and going somewhere to win titles that it's it's not going to phase us in a couple years. Well, now with Durant going to the best team with the player from the second, the team that finished second in the Western mm-hmm. Conference going to the first team. Now everything's fair game. Now it's nothing. I mean, anything yeah. is in play. And I don't know that that's his legacy. I think it was just the culmination of a couple moves before. You had the Boston big three where it was, it was trades, but 
They kind of wanted to get three big-name players together, maybe on the downside of their career. The Heat, obviously, and now, you know, here we are with Golden State. But And I, and I think, too, before we move on, this Golden State team, I think one of the reasons they've gotten it together and ironed out a lot of the kinks and what they need to do, they're pretty unselfish. I mean, oh, that's 100%. the thing. Is with that's the, ball, the way they play. Right, and if they weren't, there'd be more losses, more agony. I mean, I don't... Draymond and Durant arguing, that's teammate stuff. But they're unselfish the way they play, and it's fit perfectly. I mean... I thought it would work well. I thought this team would be right in the finals, probably winning another title. I'm surprised how much better it is than I thought it would be. You watch Golden State, and then you watch any other team. It's incredible to see how quickly the ball gets out of their hands and how many guys touch the ball on each possession. Everyone's getting involved. It's going around the entire perimeter. They're getting it inside. They're kicking it out. They're finding the best shot possible. Other teams just try and go iso ball, and that doesn't work. Sure, it'll get you wins in February, but it's not going to get you wins in June when it actually matters. Right, and, and even a team like Cleveland, if you look at their iso, how they play, and, and Kyrie Irving might be the best right now at it, but they're even a step better when they incorporate pick and roll when they move the ball. Team basketball is what's going to give you the best chance to win, and Gold State's playing at a level that we haven't really seen before. We'll see if they maintain it. I think they're definitely not going for all the wins that they went for last year. No. But when they want to, when they want to put on a clinic, when they want to get their teammates back, when he goes to Oklahoma City, they're able to put together a statement win. I do want to ask you about your team, though, as a Clippers fan. Now, fourth place in the Western Conference has been right about where they've been hovering for the last couple of years, especially this time of the year. Again, it's the injury problems. And I don't know what it is. I don't want to say cursed, or I don't really believe in curses. No, it's not but, curses. But do you think we'll see this team, let's say in the playoffs, or, or even ever, because we don't know how long this is going to last, everybody on the court, everybody healthy, feeling good for a run at something? That's a million-dollar question, and that's one that Doc would love to have the answer be yes, and one that they're hoping for. Because every single year, the team is ready to compete with DJ, Blake, and CP. I mean, you have Redick, revolving door at the three spot every single season. One of these years will actually develop (laughs) a three and draft one and actually get him to be in the lineup. Who knows if that'll happen. But the issue is that they're not staying healthy. Mm -hmm. And if they were to stay healthy, and if somehow CP comes back healthy, Blake stays healthy, DJ stays healthy, then this can finally be the season where you go for it with this unit. And you can say after the season, okay, it didn't work, let's blow this up. But they haven't had that luxury because every single year, injuries end up haunting them. And they say, well, it was injuries, so (laughs) maybe next year we'll have everybody together and we can go for it. Because I believe this team is one of the better teams when healthy. I mean, Doc will say that time and time again, that when they're healthy... Yeah. They're one of the t- top two or three teams in the NBA. I don't disagree with him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's close, and we'd have to see to find out. They're not doing themselves any favors by some of the free agent decisions. I think that's part how they've allocated money. Well, they've done a really, really, really good job this, this year. They've done a really good job this year. This year's better, but, I mean, it's hard not to be better than the last couple of years. Well, the, the, the key is Austin Rivers. Nobody thought that Austin would actually amount to anything. But he's become a really good ball player this year. I mean, he has become very reliable. He's in the starting lineup, taking over as the point guard with CP out. He was starting with mm-hmm. Raymond Felton with Blake out. 
And it's a guy that's remembers only in his yeah. mid twenties. But you think you're getting good because I've been a little harsh on Osford. But you think you're getting good bang for your buck at eleven million dollars? When I know ESPN Analytics ran the the numbers, he's played better since. Where you could get Jared Jack for veteran minimum to be roughly the same. I don't think they're the same player. I think the, the ability Austin now has to create his own shot and to facilitate and help his teammates, and also he's one of the better on ball defenders the Clippers have. So he's been crucial. I'm not quite sure what else you're going to have at that three spot. I mean, who's going to step up? I mean, Luke's not going to do anything offensively. Bob Mute. Yeah, Pierce should have retired a few years Pierce ago. Pierce is not good. Alan Anderson is meh. So what are they going to do? Spates has been really good as an addition. He's been shooting yeah. lights out from three. I don't know. So it's, it was the Carmelo trade. Is that is that where we're getting? And maybe it's not just Carmelo, but he's been the talk of these swirling rumors. Yeah. For it to work, let's just put it out this way, because it's not a video game. We have to actually <laughs> make this work. You need a third team in there. And if you're not going to trade any of the core pieces, and would that include Redick, then I would ask? If he doesn't get traded, you're basically swapping out just about all the spare parts. That's the question, is who do you give up to make the deal work? And I'm pretty sure that Doc is not going to do a deal unless he's able to keep CP, Redick, Blake, and DJ. Wow, wow, wow. I don't... I, but uh, yeah, how would that work? Austin Rivers, I think, would end up going somewhere. They'd have one or two other pieces, like random rookies that can go places. But that's why a third team needs to get involved. Mm-hmm. Because you always see that one or two, one team or two teams Just don't really give up rookie. anything. Yeah, yeah don't, I mean, they give up the main player, and they don't really get much in return, and one team doesn't really give up much. I think Reddit could go. The issue is, what do you do? I think you get rid of Crawford, you get rid of Rivers, and you just go with your strong starting five. Yeah, because you need a shooter in Reddit's case when teams double, the right. game slows down. Let's just hypothetically assume that this trade were to happen. I don't know if that makes them a basketball team that in a short season can compete with the Golden States or maybe even the San Antonios in the Western Conference. I just, Melo fitting in with this team. I don't know. The way he plays, the ball stops with him. That's the question. I mean, that's the million-dollar question. I said from day one, I don't want Melo on my team. However, and everyone keeps saying this, if you get Olympic team Melo, one that's willing to buy into team ball, and CP is one of those guys that can yeah. make you play team ball right. or else you're going to get an earful from him the entire game, then it could be something that works. And I don't... Yeah, see, that's the other thing. Is he going to give an earful to his banana boat brother? Yes. No? Okay. 100%. Okay. Yeah. Well, the other thing about those Olympic mellows is for a few of them, they had Olympic Kobe. And Kobe is the guy that he idolized growing mm-hmm. up and would, would keep him in check too. So it's fascinating. I don't think it's going to happen, but if it did... It would be a last-ditch effort to, to see what you have. I think Doc is going to say, let's get everybody healthy, hopefully, and make a run now and then go. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I think that's the goal for him is to have CP, Blake, and DJ healthy and just see what those three can do. So before we talk about All-Star Weekend coming up with Brandon Marcus on the Money Mitch Effect, I want to spend a brief moment talking about some, let's say, NBA awards right now. And two that come to mind are rookie and MVP. Now, the way Embiid's been playing, I think he's going to be viewed as the rookie of the year. But MVP, at this point in the season, and I don't know if this is a minority opinion, but 
If I had a vote, unbiasedly, I would vote for James Harden. Oh, 100%. That's my MVP. And I know I'm going to hear plaque from our Oklahoma City friends and our Westbrook fans. And I like Westbrook, and I like what he's doing. But Harden's helping his team win. Oh, And he's 100%. more efficient. He's not turning the ball over as much. I go hard in here. I don't think it's even a competition. Okay. Uh, I wasn't sure the reaction I was going to get. No, I think <laughs> I think it's almost hard and unanimous because... Wow. Well, I'm not going to go that far, who but... Who else... You're going to put Westbrook over Harden? I just I'm don't not, think but, you can do that because I think Harden's putting up just as similar numbers but is helping his team win and making the guys around him like Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson, Clint Capella better. Yeah, both rosters are not that great around their no. star player. But OKC's is worse. There's no doubt about yeah. that. But give Houston credit and give Mike D'Antoni credit for turning Harden into the point guard. And allowing him to run the offense, having it run through him, and seeing what that team does. I just don't think... You're not going to give it to Steph. No. You're not going to give it to KD. I mean, who else would you give it to? I, you're not going to... I don't want to give an MVP on a seven seed. That, that's my biggest thing. Like, what do you... Especially in basketball. Like, I know Trout won the MVP in baseball. But in basketball, one guy, in theory and in real life, affects the game and the outcome more than any other sport. I, I can see Kawhi. Honestly, yeah. I think Kawhi... He's so if I did a power ranking right now, I'd probably have to go Westbrook 2, Kawhi 3, LeBron is right around there. I'd probably four. I'd put Isaiah Thomas 5th. I mean, yeah. what he's doing, maybe ahead of LeBron right now. I don't know. I think you could put Isaiah ahead of LeBron, except the only thing is, it's the same thing that we talk about with Mike Trout every year. We don't give Mike Trout credit because we expect this from him. I mean, look at what LeBron's doing yeah. this year. He's still been tremendous, and he's getting the help, though, from Love. He's getting the help from Kyrie. I don't know. It's maybe yeah. Maybe I just also think that LeBron's going to take some time off, and I'm right. just foreshadowing that. And Harden won't. Harden's yeah. going to be there. He's going to get his team a top three seed. I mean, his rebounds are close. For his rebounds are close too. Yeah. So it's it's that. And then Kawhi. Yeah. I mean, he's going to he might go down as the best defensive perimeter player that we've ever he, seen. He's going to go over. Oh yeah, and he's <laughs> going to go down as probably one of the best players that we didn't appreciate. Because he's yeah. a top five player right now in the NBA. Nobody has made leaps. We talked about Giannis, and that might pass him. But who's gotten better year to year at a more rapid pace than Kawhi Leonard? Two years ago, three years ago, I should say, he wasn't a scorer. He was like 15-point game player. He scored 30 like eight out of his last ten games. I mean, And he racks up the steals. He gets the rebounds. He gets the assists. He gets the blocks. He shoots a nice percentage. He doesn't hurt you in any area. No. And you were worried once Duncan left and once Parker got into his decline, mm-hmm. once Ginobili retired, that the team might be in trouble and Pop might step aside. But looky here, you have Kawhi Leonard, and so Pop can continue coaching a team that is a top two seed every year. It's unbelievable, but I, it's just, uh, yeah, I'm with you. We're probably going to be underappreciating him like a long list of Spurs players. All right, Brandon Marcus, Money Mitch Effect, before I let you go, All-Star Saturday this weekend. Uh, Friday it starts, I should say, with the rookie sophomore game, which is now USA versus. Then you have All-Star Saturday and then the game. Uh, quickly, though, with Love Out, you got to think Embiid, right, gets that spot. Because M- Embiid's hurt. Oh, So I don't yeah, think you can give it to him. So he's out. I was going to say, so you get the skills competition and... And the yeah, Embiid's out. So he's uh, out. I think Embiid. I don't think Embiid's gonna play. So Melo, he was like the the next forward up that I think no, got snubbed. I, I think. I mean, I think if it Bradley was... Beal's a guy that probably really? gets okay. in. So if like, I had to guess, regard. Okay, that's fair. I, I also just think it's funny that 
you had Embiid and Melo, and then it was pretty much all the snubs were on the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. Like, we would have a serious debate on our hands if it was a Western guy. Oh, because so you have so many guards in the Western Conference. I know. Paul, Chris, CP3 didn't make it. Lillard, I feel so bad. Lillard every, every year. year. It's just three. They're going to have to start re- They should do what the NHL used to do and just do a draft and just pick mm-hmm. the best players and, you know, have the teams pick captains. But, all right, so the rookie-sophomore game. Now, every year we try to draw up interest in the game, especially this one where it doesn't have a lot of defense in it. But there's a lot of good young players in this league now. This game might be better than the All-Star game. I was looking at the rosters, and everyone wants to look at how stacked Team USA is, but the world team's got some players. Yeah, they're, they're impressive. I, I think... Well, let's talk about one of my most sudden surprise favorite players. Jokic in Denver. Are you kidding Dude, me with this guy? Dude, he's been insane. <laughs> and the funniest thing is, Malone had Nurkic starting and Jokic coming off the bench to start the season. And he just could not figure out who to start. So Malone completely messed up the first 20 or 30 games of the season for Denver, trying to figure out his rotations. And now they've got this other guy, Juancho, who just started yesterday and played like 40 minutes. And... He hit a bunch of threes. They've got a lot of young talent, but Jokic is a freak. He's I, a guy that's a triple-double yeah. waiting to happen every single time he takes the court. My prediction for this game is I think the U.S. will win, but I think this is the game where a lot of casual NBA fans are like, oh, this Porzingis guy is pretty good. I wonder why we don't see that. Oh, because his team is just a disaster. It's, yeah, and his owner is busy banning Charles Oakley from starting. <laughs> yeah, but how about the Towns, Booker? We're going to get a lot of Kentucky guys back together. I think it's going to be good. I think D'Angelo Russell as well is going to have a good game in this. It should be fun. Now, Saturday night's always been one of my favorite all-star in any sport events, the Saturday Mm -hmm. before the all-star game. I've noticed in recent years, it's kind of dwindled. Now, the dunk contest last year just brought everybody back. But it's going to be hard to keep interest all the way through. They're always trying to shuffle through what they do. Is there something that you think the NBA could do to improve all-star Saturday night? Anything at all. I mean... they tried shooting stars. They've tried different right. events. It's just, it's tough. I mean, it's tough to. Well, listen, even the NFL going. went to a skills competition this year to try and save something. I'm all for new ideas. So yeah, <laughs> I, 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 that'll be fun, I guess. But the sad part is, I haven't been able to watch, I think, the last three or four years because I always have a home broadcast to do for Cal State Fullerton and whoever that weekend. So I always miss the Saturday festivities. And. They talk about the dunk contest and whether they need to get rid of the time limit and they need to get rid of how many tries they can do. I don't know what you can do to try and spark more interest because everyone loves a three-point shootout. You have to do a three-point shootout. Mm. You have to do the dunk contest. My issue with the dunk contest is the players that are in it. Yeah, they can't require anybody to do it, but I feel like they're running out of ideas. You're bringing a guy from the D-League into this dunk contest. (laughs) And you know what? He's going to win. You think he beats Gordon? Yeah, I bet you he ends up winning. Okay. I think Gordon's going to win, and I don't know if he'll deserve it. That's my prediction. That's a possibility. This is the last year of... I I hope he deserves it. But but I'm just saying I don't think he will. Yeah, I don't know if this kid's going to get any, like, big publicity coming in. So everyone's going to be surprised when he blows the doors off the gym when he can leap over everybody. I don't even know the guy's name. I think he has a junior in his name. But... It's a kid from the D-League that not many people know about. And I think because they don't know about him, he's going to get higher scores because it's going to be unexpected. I hope a big wins the skills competition again. That'd that be was cool. one of last year's cool. Maybe Cousins, maybe Porzingis. But 
you look at guys like Booker or Wall or Isaiah Thomas, you'd expect that. Three-point shooting is interesting. I, I always think it's the deepest field. It's the one that the Stars actually want to come out to. Mm-hmm. Splash Brothers always seem to find their way into it, but hey, you, you don't know. Swaggy P. Swaggy P can get hot. He's the ultimate just hot shooter. If he gets hot, he is just going to go and shoot it from everywhere and make it. I think he gets to the finals and then puts like one of the worst performances out. I, that's him though, uh, right? Like he that's did, he did a high round in, in the first round and then a, an historic low where he's hitting the side yeah. of the backboard. That'd be yeah. so funny to watch yeah. though. Kyrie's one to look out for too. Actually, you know another one that I would really consider winning is CJ McCollum. We talk about players that have continued to get better and I think he won most improved last year. He's tenfold better than he was last year. Yeah, he and Lillard are nasty as the guards for Portland. They just haven't figured out who's going to play down low because they've been unexpectedly terrible this year. They are. And I think, too, I mean, it'd be cool to see DeAndre make a run at the dunk contest with Gordon. But he's so big. I don't know what he's going to do that's going to amaze everyone. That's the issue. I think it'd have to be the theatrics. You'll see some Clippers help him out. Yeah, I think sure. There's no way way CP3 doesn't make an appearance. Yeah, CP will probably help him out because he's been around the gym. That's one thing with his injuries. He's been able to kind of be around and still run and help out. So we'll see. And I know she said, you know, they're bringing Derek Jones Jr., a D-League guy. But yeah. the Suns team is basically a D-League team with the exception of Booker. So it's true. I don't know. But the game itself, it's hey, hard Bledsoe for me. too, by the way. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. He's beasting. I got to gotta give props to him. Yeah. The game itself, I have mixed emotions for. It's good to see the stars all out. But in all the sports... I mean, I guess I'd put up their football. This was one of my least favorite actual games because nobody plays defense. There's no defense whatsoever. There's only defense in the final, like, four minutes. Yeah, for that money. Yeah, and then they all of a sudden start carrying. So I I was thinking about ways that you could maybe make this more competitive and more defensive-oriented, but it's hard when the game itself is going to less defense. And you don't want to get hurt either. Right. That's the thing. Because can you imagine someone getting hurt in the All-Star game and then all of a sudden... You have a ne- all-star game next year where no one wants to compete. Yeah, it's an interesting set of circumstances. But it'll be good to see all the players on the court together, conference rivals getting yeah. together. And yeah, I, Well, I think- listen, that, that's the thing that's going to be most fun to watch is during the game, will Steve Kerr put Durant, Clay, Steph, Draymond, and Westbrook on the floor together? Will he do his four Warriors... And Westbrook. People have been talking about And will about Westbrook that. pass the ball? Yeah. I guess and no. what will just, Westbrook and Durant do when they're on the court, court together? Well, we, we just closed the book on prop bets for the Super Bowl. I'd love to see some action on that, what the odds are for, for the outcome there. I, I think it's exciting to see that possibility. Although NBA dramas, I think, kind of get overblown at times. 100%. We'll see. But, Brandon, thanks for coming by. It's good. we got a couple months of basketball. We have March Madness next month. I know, the yeah. Super Bowl, I know the Super Bowl ended, and uh, it was great, and great NFL season and all, but there's still a lot of good sports on. I'm ready for, for all mine to keep going. And pitchers and catchers just reported, so uh, we had a nice little recap after the World Series, and here we are. Just I know. a couple months later, all of a sudden, we've got baseball again. I know, and Encarnacion is now an Indian. Your boy! So, yeah, so I was pleasantly surprised there. But Brandon, thanks again. You know it won't be the last time you're on the show. Appreciate you coming. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again to Brandon Marcus for taking time to come over and chat NBA action. Again, check out Mostly Banner. 
it's a very, very good podcast that I need to take some lessons for too. Brandon books some pretty good guests and uh, you know they deliver on the content. So check Brandon's stuff out, that's mostly banner, and thanks again to him for talking hoops. All right, now it's time to talk to Eric Roberts. He writes for the hockey writers. He is a Fox Sports Radio producer. We're gonna talk about all the NHL storylines. Claude Julian is now head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. If I told you that a month ago, you'd think I was crazy. Talk about that, some suspensions, NHL playoff picture, all that and more with Eric Roberts. Here it is now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect on the hotline, it's Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts joining us again, hockey writer's contributor, Fox Sports Radio producer. Eric, thanks for joining the show. Uh, no problem. Always, always willing to talk a little puck with you, Mitch. Well, yeah, and I appreciate that, and I think this is an interesting time of the year. I mentioned earlier that you know football season's over, hockey games are starting to mean more, and you're starting to see teams get a little desperate. We have the trade deadline coming up, but before that, the biggest news of the week, a coaching change, and not one that we would expect. Now, the fifth coaching change, it is the Montreal Canadiens, the first-place Montreal Canadiens in the Atlantic Division. Tarion is out, and Claude Julien, who coached the Bruins at the beginning of the season, is the new head coach, his second stint in Montreal. Eric, on a level of, I guess, 1 to 10, how surprised are you that not only is Tarion fired, but Julien, who is unemployed for maybe a couple weeks, is coaching his former team again? Oh, it's, it's definitely got to be up there with um, the surprise factor around it. You know, with him going to a team that's in their division, and plus with his history, with Julian's history with the Canadian stuff like that, it, it really caught mostly the hockey world by surprise once the, the news kind of started cycling through Twitter. I mean, that's pretty much, most people were shocked. Although the Montreal Canadian side of it, the, their fan base, they seemed pretty happy with this. You know, the Canadians were in a stretch of where they were 2-6-1 in their last night. Carey Price was just on record a few days ago talking about how the team had lost their identity. So, you know, it, it seemed like that uh, mid-season collapse of the Canadians had a trouble with the last couple of seasons was right on was right on on cue or coming around the corner, so I think uh, the Canadians management kind of you know sniffed it in the bud and brought somebody in who you know Julian he won the Cup back in 2011 he was the coach of the year in 2009, so I didn't think they wanted to wait and you know let the collapse happen and wait and you know hit the postseason and let other teams have a crack at Julian so they wanted to you know get him in there as quickly as possible and like you said I mean he was off he was unemployed for a matter of days, I think. So they, they wanted to bring him in as quickly as possible. You know, Tarion, I you, you would definitely assume that he lost the locker room. And I want to point out that I don't know that any other sport would do this. You see a lot of good teams have won the Stanley Cup with interim coaches, Pittsburgh twice in the last decade. But it's clear he lost the locker room. It's clear Montreal knew that, especially with how good the Metropolitan Division is, that they need to improve right away if they want to make a cup run, if they're serious about it in the short term. And with Julian, you get a coach that's proven. You get a guy that definitely knows how to win in the NHL. And also, too, I mean, look at what he's been doing with in Boston, Eric. I, I like this hire because he's been able to win in difficult situations. You know how rabid it is, how, how crazy the press and the fan base is in Montreal. If you're going to make this move, if you're going to make this gutsy move, I think this might be the best-case scenario. You get a proven seasoned veteran like Claude Julian. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the, the Canadians are in the midst of their uh, their five-day bye week, so it's a good time for him, you know, he can come in for a couple of days, not really have to worry about jumping into, uh, you know, game day prep. He has a 
think he's going to get one practice with them today or tomorrow before he get they get back on the ice uh, this weekend. So I think it was a, it was a good timing, and it, it raises the question, you know, if, if Julian wasn't available, would the Canadians have made this move? You know, I mean, I don't think they would have cut ties with um, Terry and B, if there was like you know like a B level coach out on the market. But with somebody like Julian, like you said, who has the history, he has cups to his name. They didn't really want to let let any time slip by. And you know, maybe even slip further down the standings, and wish they would have. You know, should have, could you would have, kind of thing. Yeah, and it's funny too. They were looking. The other option was Gallant, the former Panthers coach. So it kind of shows you that they wanted a veteran presence to replace Terrian. It's an interesting situation. Mm-hmm. And as you look at the Atlantic Division, Eric, with Montreal in front, but the lead that they had built early not surmountable. Just six points out of Boston and Ottawa, with Toronto and a couple other teams closing in there. Do you still like Montreal in this division, or do you think maybe a Senators or a pesky Bruins team that's played better lately could make a run at that Atlantic Division title? I think that the Atlantic Division out of four is probably one of the, the most up in the air, you know, just because the Canadians do have the history. And, you know, even although Julian does have a history of, you know, he has a successful history, who knows what's going to happen, you know. He, just because he's coming in doesn't mean it's like, okay, he's back, you know, we're going to go on another... 13 game run, you know, that's like they start the season to build up more of a lead. Boston's coaching change could cause them to drop a little bit. And we could open up the door for maybe, you know, the Maple Leafs to go on a, a little run here, maybe even give, give some footsteps to the, the Senators and the Canadians, make them feel a, ner- a little nervous. But the Lions division is, I think, really up in the air at this point. Yeah, still like Montreal, I just think they're too seasoned for, for these other teams that are maybe a step away or, or going through some turmoil. An inconsistent team like Ottawa. But I'm glad you brought up the Maple Leafs, because I wanted to bring this up, Eric. I think of all the surprising storylines this year, this team might be the, the biggest pleasant surprise. In the last two months, only a few teams, I believe it's Washington, San Jose, I know there's one other team in there, but the Maple Leafs have the fourth amount of points in the last two months. Now, I don't know anybody that saw this coming, them being this good this fast. Matthews is, is a beast, we know that, but this team, top to bottom, is way, way better than we expected them to be. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy how it's like their rebuild kind of, you know, hit hit something and just sped it up that, no, yeah, like you said, nobody has, nobody can see it coming. I think even Shanahan has, has gone on record saying, you know, we're, we're, there's no way we could have seen ourselves being this far ahead in our rebuild, you know. Austin Matthews obviously has proven to be a, a major catalyst in this. 27 goals a season. He leads rookies in goal scoring. He's only three behind Crosby for the entire league lead. Anderson, who was brought over in a in a trade with Anaheim during the offseason, he's been he's been, he's backstopped them all year. Twenty three wins, first season in Toronto. It's, things are clicking. You know, you got Kadri, who's having a great year. It's, it's, it's all clicking in Toronto, and it's, it's, it feels good for him. You know, Toronto's kind of been dragged in the mud here the last couple of years, and it's it's good to see the kind of hype around him for once instead of the the negative media that you're so used to seeing. Right, and you look at the fan base, and, and you know how, how they might be the most passionate in, in all sports, not just hockey. I think, too, I mean, I look at it with, like, the struggles in the NBA with the Lakers or the Knicks and, and the Yankees in baseball. I just think the sport's better when the Maple Leafs are competitive. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. They're one of the story franchises. You know, they have they have plenty of rivalries around the league, and it's, it's not fun when, you know, they're going in and you, you're just like, okay, what are they going to lose by today, you know? It's good when they're competitive. It's good for the league. It's good for them. I mean, they just came off of a seven-one win over the Islanders. A huge, huge win. I think. I think Matthews had two goals in the game. But yeah, it's definitely good for the league for when they're competitive. Right. And the only thing I worry, Eric, and I guess it's 
I wouldn't call it a sophomore slump, but sometimes you see these teams outperform, you know, rise to the playoff picture early, and then take that step back. Maybe their approach changes. Calgary comes to mind where you, you think that you're good enough and you can rely on what you did last year. You think Toronto will fall into that same boat as we as we move on here? I mean, they could make the playoffs this year, but I don't think they're quite ready to contend just yet. Yeah, you know, it, that's definitely that's definitely um, a possibility. They are young, you know, like you said, they have players like Mitch Marner, Matthews, even Kadri's not too old, um, Nylander. They're all, you know, it's a very, very young nucleus, and they're getting the majority of their production from very, very young players. So it, it will be very interesting to see how, you know, how how they come into next season, or even how they end this season. You know, they got about 20 to 30 games re- remaining, so they have to finish out the season. It's not a, it's not a fully Cinderella story just yet, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And with Matthews, you have the guy who's fourth in the league in goal scoring. I mean, that's just insane that he's already scoring at this level. You combine him, Eric, with Patrick Laine, who had another hat trick last night. I can't remember a rookie class that has had better goal scoring. I know there's been some elite ones. I'd have to probably go back to the Ovechkin-Crosby year in terms of just pure scoring from a class. I mean, this is an offensive boom for the ages. Yeah, you know, there's been some pretty good classes out there. You know, I think of, like you said, the Crosby-Ovechkin class. There was the 09 class where that was just stacked with talent. But those were all talents that, you know, eventually came into their own. They were, you know, they... Mm-hmm. They developed into league leaders in points, goals, or just captains throughout the NHL, wherever they ended up. But for this class to have the impact that they've had just immediately out of the gate is, is ridiculous. I, it's, like you said, it's, I, haven't, I haven't seen it before. I don't think many have. And we got a long, long future, hopefully, to seeing goal scoring at this level by the draft class of 2016. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure the NHL is pretty happy about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's a, a sure thing. We even saw a lot of them in the All-Star weekend, too, already as just rookies. As I still chat with Eric Roberts on the Money Mitch Effect, let's switch now to the Metropolitan Division. And the best way I can describe this, Eric, is this is basically going to be a death match all the way through. You have four teams that I don't think it would surprise any of us if they won the Eastern Conference. That's how stacked this division is. Do you see anything shaking this out, any variables that might determine who makes that run out of the Metro Division and maybe into the Stanley Cup Final? I think the, the really the only variable is going to be is, is the Caps stumble. I mean, I've the Capitals, I think they look like a juggernaut to me. I mean, I just they have, I think, I believe, 10 players with at least 10 goals or more. Ovi, has, he's killing it like he has in the past. I mean, he has a new game. He's focused on defense. Braden Holby is among the top, if not the best goalie in the league at the moment. It's, I think I think in the Metro it's going to come down to whoever gets in the way of the Capitals and whether or not they stumble like like they have in the past. You know, I mean, last year they had a great season too. They kind of ran into the the wood chipper when uh, Pittsburgh were on their run, but I think it might be the Capitals and the Metros to kind of run through the East in the playoffs. Right, and and you know I look at it from the outside. Those other three teams, Pittsburgh, New York, and, and Columbus, which has been a very you know a good story this year. You're right. It is Washington, top to bottom. I don't think there's a team with more talent in all three phases in this league. I would say that for first with the Blue Jackets, it, it's going to be tough. I mean, they're looking like maybe the three seed to play Pittsburgh or the two seed to play Pittsburgh. And they haven't been in this situation in a while. You know, they, they haven't won a playoff series ever. It's going to be tough to grind it out. You saw them lose to the Rangers where the Rangers got by an experience. With New York, I don't think the talent's, yeah. I don't think the talent's quite there with New York teams. 
I think they're a little bit in transition. Some older guys are getting up there. And Pittsburgh has that championship pedigree, but you do wonder if that luck's going to run out. I, I agree with you. I think Washington is the team to beat, but the NHL playoffs are an interesting beast, and the fact that all these teams have to play each other just to get to the conference finals definitely adds some excitement there. Yeah, that, that bracket of the Eastern Conference is definitely going to be a slugfest. I'm looking at the standings right now, and you know, you got Washington with a plus 71 goal differential. You got Pittsburgh plus 42, Columbus plus 41, New York plus 45. So, I mean, it goes to show that they can score goals in bunches, but they're also, they, they, they're not allowing goals again. So, we could probably see games where it's 1 0 game, we could see games where it's 6 5 game. You know, that, that bracket of the playoffs is going to be very exciting to watch. Right, and did you ever think that if we talked about these four teams, Eric, that Lundqvist would be clearly the worst of the four goalies right now at this season? It's pretty shocking to see. Yeah, it's insane, honestly. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah, you yeah. have you have Holtby, you have Murray, you have Bobrovsky, and then you have Lundqvist. And it's, it'd probably be something in that order, maybe Bobrovsky and uh, Murray flip-flopping on any given day. But, yeah, the Lundqvist window might be closing, so, you know, this might be their one of their final runs here coming up. So, Yeah, and I, and I do want to talk about Pittsburgh for a second, just to bring up the fact, Eric, that last night Crosby with an assist, 999 career points, one away from 1,000. And I, I'm bringing this up because this is a guy that arguably has been the face or one of the two faces of the lead with, league with Ovechkin for the last 10 years. He's had ups and downs. I think we all thought when he came into the league that he'd get to this point. But there have been some setbacks. I think Crosby as a standard bearer for the National Hockey League is something that maybe we don't appreciate enough. I know our rooting interests get in the way, but this is a guy that just plays hockey at, at an elite level and has been carrying the flag for the NHL for a long time. Oh, yeah, definitely. You, when you think about he's one away from 1,000, and you think about just the setbacks he's had with the, you know, the concussion problems. He's missed handfuls of games in multiple seasons. And you think about it, it's like, okay, well, if he doesn't you know, take that one uh, – blindside hit in the, in the Winter Classic way back when when they are playing the Capitals. Like, where is he at? That kind of started the concussion problem. Like, where is he at? Is he, is he pushing 1,200 by now? Is he, where is he at without the concussions? And when the Penguins went out on you, they had a two-game road trip here the last couple of days against the Avalanche and Coyotes. I'm like, okay, well, he's coming back to Pittsburgh with at least 1,010, you know. He's yeah. been on that kind of path, been on that kind of pace. I, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of a, a Crosby hater back in the day, but I've grown to He's exactly just the dominant player in the work and ethic, and it's just he's he's a great face for the, the league, and I've I've grown to like him. Right. I mean, there's some things that I've never really been a huge fan of. Sometimes the the, the whining, I would say, but the more and this is the best way I can put it. Everyone that I know that doesn't like him still respects his game because how could you not? I mean, it's just it's a pure skilled game, and he and he outworks the opponent. I know it's cliche, but he plays the game like a fourth line grinder with all the skill that he has. And, and I'll ask you this question, Eric. I would say that, barring any injuries, the way his game is, I would think he could play for another you know, seven, eight, maybe ten years, given the way that he keeps himself in shape and his game isn't necessarily predicated on speed. Oh, yeah, definitely. I was actually just reading something about, about his journey to a thousand points and it had veterans like you know Pascal Dupuis and uh, Kobe Armstrong, players that played with him when he was younger, they just said from the very beginning, everything he does is to make himself a better hockey player. From the when he wakes up in the morning to when he goes to bed. So it's seasoned veterans, they can just see it's like this kid is going to be playing for as long as he can and he's going to be doing crazy things. And this was a rookie coming in. You know? So I, I totally believe 
season as long as he stays healthy, you know, and he keeps his head up, and it's, it should be a, a even much longer and more story career for, for Crosby. And you look at it, too. I mean, the best that he looks, this kind of shows you how good he is, are the international games. Like, when he's playing in the Olympics, when he's playing in the World Cup of Hockey, when he's playing with all elite-level, all-world talent, he stands out. That, that's how I'll remember him. Yeah, definitely. All right, now we're going to talk about some other issues on the Money Mitch Effect with Eric Roberts, and that are some hits that, some plays, I should say, that have resulted in or will result in some suspensions. Now, we only plan to talk about one such incident, and then something else happened last night. We'll start with the first one. Gustav Nyquist, Eric for the Red Wings, his slash to the face of Spurgeon for Minnesota. No official ruling yet, but I know you saw this hit, this slash, and I'll come out and just say, now he's waived his in-person right to uh, a hearing with the NHL. But this, I would think, looks like a minimum of six games. I mean, he slashed Spurgeon right in the face, and it's the sort of thing that the NHL is trying to phase out of the game. Yeah, yeah. The, the fact, I think, if they are offered an in-person hearing, I think it can be a minimum of six-plus. He waived it. He did waive it, so he's just going to do a phone interview. Yeah, like I, yeah, like you said, they're, they're trying to phase this out. It wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of throw the book at him, give him maybe ten or so. I know he does have a kind of a, a clean record, never been suspended before, but there's there's no room in the in the game for this right now. They're trying to get rid of kind of the goonery, and then for the stick to even be that high up, um, it's it's really shocking to, to me, honestly. When yeah. I saw him kind of trending on Twitter when it happened, I was like, okay, Nyquist, we saw Nyquist trending. Um, it's got to be a goal. got to be something something nasty he did, you know, something offensive. And then I saw the video, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's I was kind of shocked at first. It was a lot of loss of words because it was so blatant and so malicious. It was, it was really ridiculous. Yeah, and, and for the people that haven't seen the hit, I mean, intentional or unintentional uh, slashes happen where sticks get up, just a minor penalty. But he got cross-checked down a little bit by Spurgeon, got up and whacked him right in the face. I mean, there was intent there. Maybe not necessarily to do what he did, but definitely to do something along those lines. I, I w I'm with you. I think this is going to be at minimum six games. His record might leave it at six, but it, it could get higher. And then the other guy last night, Eric, was Vermette, Antoine Vermette. I mean, we saw that Ducks game uh, again also in Minnesota, oddly enough. And Vermette actually slashed an official. Now that's something that he's already been handed down a 10-game suspension. But this, to me, was more stunning than the Nyquist play. Yeah, I mean, it was a really weird situation because I, um, I was watching it at work last night and I saw the, the penalty go across the street and, like, abuse of an official. So I was, and I saw it come off face off, didn't really see it happen live, so I had to rewind it and watch it. I'm like, what, what happened? And then, so he, he was set and he had pulled back up off the face off and then the linesman dropped the puck. Kind of stared at him, looked a little upset, and then gave him a little whack on the back of the leg. And I'm like, what, why would you do that? I mean, yeah. I've seen players get tossed for less, like, you know, they kind of just fall and they push the ref. And, but you, you're blatantly going to slash them in the back of the leg. It's just an, another incident where I was at a loss for words. It's just, what, what he, what's going through his mind at that, at that point, we'll never know, but it's, it's crazy. Right, and that's exactly it, what's going through his mind, because the slash itself didn't do a whole lot of damage, but he had time to think about it, still whacked him. You can't hit an official in any sport, regardless of whether it's, Oh, friendly tap, a love tap, whatever you want to call it. And he's got a 10-game suspension now. There, He can get the appeal in front of Commissioner Gary Bettman. But, you know, there's three categories in this. The third one being 20 games, which is what the Weidman hit on the official was uh, years ago. Yeah. 
I think we're starting to get to where players aren't understanding the ramifications of their actions in some cases because the league is cracking down on this, and this was a call that by the book had to be that way. There was not really room for interpretation. You hit an official, it's cut and dry. You're going to be suspended. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to officials, there's really no gray area because they want to protect them, and if they don't protect them, they're going to upset them. And the, the NHL wants to keep the refs happy. They want to keep the, the refs association happy. And the, really, if, if they go easy on Vermette here, they're going to they're gonna anger the refs. That they don't want that. Yeah, and it, it just was out of character. Vermette not known for this as well as Nyquist, but shows you the emotional, volatile game of hockey where things like this can, can come to the surface. But you do have to maintain your composure. Yeah, even something as small as a, a neutral zone face-off, like for that case. <laughs> yeah, never would have thought it would have happened at all, and let alone in the situation, the circumstance in the game where it did. And the Ducks actually won that game too, so go figure. All right, Eric. Now I want to talk about the Pacific Division, the team out here, the Kings. Another head-scratching couple weeks for this team, and I know you're you're privy to this. They go on a little bit of a winning streak. You think they're they're okay? Maybe Quick will be coming back soon. We still don't know exactly when, but then they enter a losing streak right after. What is it about this team that makes them so inconsistent? When you think they've turned the corner, they kind of revert a little bit. Yeah, it's, I've, I've really I it's been a roller coaster of a ride for the Kings this season. That it seems their highest peaks are followed by their lowest valleys. It's kind of crazy. Since the, the beginning of the calendar year, they've had a five game winning streak. They've uh, they had a four-game losing streak. They followed that up with a five-game winning streak. And they followed that five-game winning streak up with back-to-back losses. And they, they won a game to go into their five-game or five-day five week. So it's just, it seems like as soon as you think they're, they're clicking, they go on a, a lengthy winning streak. They lose all the ground they made by losing three in a row. I, I can't even count how many three-game losing streaks, three-game winning streaks they've had this season. It's, it's really confusing, honestly. They pump the, their fans up, and then they bring them right back down to earth. It's, kind of crazy. Well, and you'll get it, too. I mean, the fact that Budai is not even anywhere near the problem, he's played very well. The team struggles in goal scoring. And, and I bring up the Tampa Bay game as an example of this, Eric. When Budai has a, a, a decent game or an off game, it's almost like with how weak the scoring is, they have no chance. I mean, they're asking a lot of this goalie, given how low they're producing offensively. Yeah, no, this, I've, uh, I've said that the problem this season isn't isn't the play in the net. You know, Budai has, although people, when you say, oh, you know, Quick is out, Quick's out, that's, that's got to be the problem. You know, Quick's out, you lost your starting goalie, that's why you guys are having a rough season. Well, no, Budai, he has 26 wins. He's top three in goals against average, against goalies that have 20 games of play or higher. He's tied for the league, a lead in shutouts with seven. You can't ask for much better than that. I mean, he's he stepped in, you know, he stepped in the fire, and he's weathered the storm. Yeah, so, I mean, the Kings have... They have the third best goal against or fourth best goals against average, but the problem is they can't score goals. They're not there's no goal support for Budai or whoever's in that that tops the net or anything. You know they have they have 2.49 goals against or goals for per game, like bottom five in the league. It's just they can't find consistent scoring enough. And given the fact though that Eric, the Western Conference playoff picture is so weak at the moment, the Kings are in that second wild card spot by a point. You think that there's still that aura of if the Kings get in, they could definitely make a run, they can intimidate some teams. I'm not sure how deep they can go into the playoffs, but I do believe, given the Western Conference playoff picture, that a lot of teams would rather see some of those other squads instead of a Kings team that's won championships. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, when when it comes to the Kings, even though they are having a down year technically, I mean, it's it's not even really a down year because you think back about when they made those runs to the Cups, they were an eighth seed, they were a lower seed in the in the, in the playoffs. So it's not even really a down year, but the the fact that you know it is the still pretty much the the majority of the team that was around for those two cup runs. It's got to be in the back of the heads for those teams that you know like could play them in the first round. You know, right now if they played the Wild. Uh, they would play the Wild in the opening round, you know, a, a team that, you know, hasn't had recent playoff success, but the Kings have, you know. And then at, at any moment, you know, the Kings could click to fully could start yeah. finding his group. Pearson could fight, start finding his group. Kopitar could start finding his back in that. So mm-hmm. although they're floating around right now, it could it could click and they could go on a run just you know, like that 2012 run in the eight seed. Yeah, I really don't like that Minnesota matchup, though, just because of how good Dubnik's playing. And <laughs> talk about mm-hmm. the offensive goal scoring goals of the Kings, but I, I see what you're saying. I, I just look at the the environment. I think Paul, Minnesota, San Jose, any of those teams, yeah, we'd rather play Calgary, we'd rather play Winnipeg or, or Dallas or one of those teams. I just don't think the Kings are the preferred choice of any of these teams. Yeah, and that they're and they're one of the the last kind of standouts with the the kind of the tough bruising physical style of hockey, and I don't think anybody kind of wants, wants to start off the playoffs with, you know, a big physical team like the Kings, because say that, you know, the whoever plays in the first round, they do beat the Kings, but that's a that's a physical toll to take in the opening round of the playoffs if you're trying to make a, a run, you know, you got three more rounds after that. If you go seven against the Kings, you're going to be coming out bruised, you might not be completely healthy, you might lose a, a superstar to a mm-hmm. big hit or something, yeah. so it's, it's definitely not a favorable match for anybody in a physicality kind of no, no, not at all. You kind of see what the Kings can do in Sutter behind the bench. Another thing to, to factor in, he's one of the best coaches in the game, especially when he can make adjustments in a seven-game series. Still chatting with Eric Roberts of the Hockey Writers on the Money Mitch Effect. And before we wrap this up, Eric, one team that's really started to take control in the last couple months has been the San Jose Sharks. You look at how this team, the Stanley Cup finalists from a year ago, they started out pedestrian a bit. For the last month or so, they've been a very, very good team. The Pacific Division kind of looks like it's theirs, Eric. How have the Sharks been able to, to rise to the top and really sustain success? Oh, they they might as well strap the saddle on Brent Burns and kind of just all hopped on him. You I mean, know, he's, he's amazing. A, he's just having an amazing season. You know, he has 59 points, 24 goals. He's in the league's top, or he's just outside the league's top 10 in goals. The next closest D is Shaywear with 13. The stuff he's doing for them on the blue line. And, you know, really quarterbacking the team. And he's, he's spearheading their, their rise up in standings right now. And I don't see him slowing down, actually. Well, have you ever seen a player play like him? I, and I know there's a lot of good players in the NHL. And Burns is at the top of the list. But I can't remember, following hockey my whole life, seeing anything like him, the style that he plays. No, it's, it's really crazy. And, you know, you watch him on, on TV, you know, and him being in San Jose, I don't really see him in person much, but I've seen him come to town when he plays the Kings, and when you see him live, you just see how big of a person he is, and how smooth, and you, you really don't see, um, you know, a, def- a defenseman to that that big, and that fluid on the ice, and just, just effortless at everything he does, and he's fast, and huge, and physical, and just so skilled, it's, it's, when you see him in person, it's really a sight to it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it certainly is, and I look at the Sharks team, too, that their goals against, Eric, only 135, second right now in the conference. Got to give Martin Jones some credit. Even, even after last year, a lot of us were thinking, 
how good is he? Like, the offense is good around him. Is he able to sustain success? They've won quite a few of these games squarely on his back, too. So I think the defensive side of things, Burns obviously more offensive-minded, but defensively the Sharks are a pretty good team, better than we might have expected. Yeah, Martin Jones, he's been, he's been quite a workhorse for him up the coast. He's, I think he started 48 games. I want to say that's top three in the league. He's won 28 of them. He's, he's become the starter he wanted to be when he was down here behind Quick in his shadow, kind of. And he, he wanted to leave to be a starter. And he's, he's found his starting role, and the, the Sharks found a gem with him, I think. Yeah, well, in a conference and a division that might be a little down, in a conference where we're not sure who the top teams are, San Jose might be destined for another lengthy run, potentially even getting back to the Stanley Cup Finals. Well, Eric, before I let you go, I do want to bring up the last the last uh, thing on our rundown, and that's what's going on with the New York Islanders. This is kind of away from the rink right now, but do you see any possibility that this arena thing is going to affect not only their free agents, but just the future of this franchise is it possible that we could see them leave Brooklyn, go back to Nassau, maybe even leave the New York area? I think they got it. I mean, I've only heard bad things about the situation evolving around the arena. Even when they first when they first moved over there, the arena isn't fan friendly. The the upkeep of it was was apparently just not up to league standards around you know around the rest of the league. Um, it's just it's a it's a messy situation that's for sure. And then it's got to affect the free agents. You know, who's going to want to come? You know. To a team where you, you, every day you hear something bad about, you know, the upkeep of the arena. Are they going to be in that same place? Or, well, obviously they're not. Where are they going to be in a couple seasons? It's obviously going to affect players that want to go there. And you know, you got star. There's star, big star John Tavares. You, you kind of feel bad for the guy. You know, he's been super loyal to this thing. And whenever you read about him, loyalty comes up. He's a loyal players, loyal to the team, loyal to the organization. It's just ever since he's come, it's just it's been it's been a mess around him. He's he's skating with players that aren't up to his par, both on his line and his roster. I mean, the team's only made the playoffs three times, I think, in the last seven years. Only won one round. It's just, it's been a mess around a superstar player. Do you think, you know, say if he ends up somewhere else in his prime, like right now, what where he could have been, where his ceiling would yeah. be, but instead he's kind of stuck on a, on a failing franchise and a failing building. Right, and the building that, I mean, it's never been built for hockey. The Jumbotron's over one of the blue lines. I mean, it, it's... It's a mess, and Tavares, and they're playing better with Doug Wade behind the bench, but Tavares has said, you know, he's not sure it's not going to factor into what he does, but you have to keep this guy. He's got top five talent in the league, and as exciting as it would be to maybe see that move, I know Hartford was uh, thrown up in mind for, for all the Whalers fans out there like myself, but I'd rather see them just go back to the Nassau Coliseum. I know it wasn't the nicest arena, but it had a great fan support. It was actually in Long Island. I think you can renovate that. I, I, the Islanders belong in New York, and they have to get this squared up because it's just a hassle. I think that's what we can agree on there is that it's just an unnecessary set of circumstances that takes away from the product on the ice. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's got to be tough for players to come in and you know they're not being asked questions about the game or their, their, their lineup or their opponent for that night. They're getting questions about, oh, if the team moves, how would you feel? Where would you want to go? You know, it's, Mm-hmm. It's tough for a player to get up for a game when they're getting asked questions about stuff outside of their control. Yeah. Well, it's going to be an interesting one to monitor. The Islanders still in the playoff picture like a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference, but arena incidents and, and the face of their franchise still not exactly sure what's going to happen with him could be an ugly area to deal with there. Well, Eric Roberts, thanks for joining the show. 
this was fun, and the next time you're on, it might be about playoff time, so we'll really be cracking down on uh, the cup contenders. Yeah, we'll be we're coming down the, the home stretch here. All right, Eric, thanks again for joining the show. Best of luck with everything. We'll talk again soon. Yeah, anytime, buddy. Thanks. Thanks to both Brandon Marcus and Eric Roberts for coming on the show today. And thanks everyone out there for listening to the Money Niche Effect. I hope you're having a good day, and I hope you didn't fall bait to the rumors of Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor that it's probably not going to happen. If it does, it'll just be a hype beast that doesn't live up to the marking. I think I've said too much. But thanks again for listening. You can find everything on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. All the old episodes to the Money Mitch Effect by just searching it. I'm on Twitter, Money Mitch M21. I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, and a couple other social media things as well. All good social media things, I can assure you that. we got one more episode this week coming up on Friday, and it's going to be a good one. We're doing social, pop culture, sports, and uh, it's the first time I, I've done a format like this. Heather Pink and Brenna Haven are going to be on the show. It's going to be a good one. I hope I survive it. Uh, they're very intense, very passionate, very fun and easy going. Can't wait to do that episode. Thanks again to the guests today. Brian Nelson on the logo, Tim Adams on the beat. I am Mitch Michaels. Thanks for listening. Money Mitch Effect. Keep going strong. Yeah, I think we'll do that.